welcome to another episode of the Healing Exchange Podcast. I am Jaquilla McFarley. You can call me your host, your co-host, your cousin, your bestie, your neighbor, your your close friend, your your sister, whatever. I'm so happy that you made it back. I'm so thankful. Thank you for coming back. I was hoping I didn't bore y'all on the last episode, um, but you're here. So thank you so much for joining me on this second official episode of the Healing Exchange. And since you're here, since you came back for a second time, you might as well subscribe to my YouTube channel um, while you're on it. If you're watching me visually, you should be on my YouTube. Just hit the subscribe button, the Healing Exchange. Um, add me on Instagram. I put the description and the, the link on the video, Jaquilla McFarley. Jaquilla, no, I'm sorry. Instagram, Jaquilla underscore MCF um, is my Instagram. Jaquilla McFarley is how you can add me on Facebook. And I am on TikTok at J McFarley. Um, again, I put the all of the links and the ads on the video so that you can subscribe, like, add me, follow, all of that. So thank you so much again for tuning in. Um, um, I just want to do a bit of a recap. So I know on the first episode, I shared with everyone my testimony and it was kind of extensive because it was a lot of stuff. Y'all, it was a lot of stuff. It was hard to um, keep that to a minimum. I tried to put it in a box, but it was so much that went on in my life. And it just made me even more grateful for all of the things. I thank God that I'm not in jail. I'm not dead. Um, that I didn't murder anyone. I didn't catch a charge. I'm not in an insane asylum. I'm not on the street. I just thank God, man, as I look back and think about my life and everything that I have went through and thinking like, yo, you're like a lot of people did not survive what I survived. So I'm just thankful. So as I was pondering on my testimony, I wanted to um, talk about on this episode the the after the after effects of trauma, the after effects of trauma, meaning the consequences I suffered, my mindset, um, the things that I was doing. Y'all, let me tell you, I was outside. When I tell you I was outside, I was outside. I was in the club underage, I was drinking underage, I was drinking by 17, um, sleeping with different people, um, getting kicked out of clubs downtown here in Central Florida, just angry, always wanting to fight, sneaky, promiscuous, just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, I saw a quote on Instagram and it said that your trauma is not your fault but your healing is your responsibility. And that's so true. I don't know who said it. I'm just going to put dash anonymous, but that's so true. The things that has, that has happened to us or the things that we have been victimized from, um, it's not our fault. You know, it's not your fault, but as you get older and get more knowledge, um, and get more truth, it becomes your responsibility to apply that truth and apply that knowledge. Once you hear it, now is you, you have to apply it and make healing your responsibility. So 
I thought that was so, I thought that was so profound. And I just want to talk about um, the after effects of, of what trauma did to me, my mental, my emotional, um, things that I was doing, um, the way I hurt people because I was hurt. Cause we all hear the thing, the saying that says hurt people, hurt people. And it's very, very, very true. Hurt people, hurt people. And now that I'm healed and healing, now I can say, okay, healed people, heal people too. So I'm here just telling all my business. But so I just, just a short recap, just, um, starting with, I know I mentioned that, um, my father, my biological father was the first to, um, plant a seed, um, of bitterness and kind of a dis strong dislike I had for all men. It it started with my biological father, just me not seeing him much, him not being around. Um, and then my grandparents, they raised me, my granddad, you know, he wasn't a perfect man. He was a great father figure in my life, but he wasn't, he wasn't a perfect man. He had his flaws and just seeing how he had, how he handled himself as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, kind of brought more. It was a lot of things that I saw that I didn't like. So it just gave me more of a distaste for all men. Um, in my mind, cause again, I'm, I'm a little girl, men, all men must do is hurt. You know, that's all they do. So growing up elementary, I knew, um, I started having this, the, these are one of the effects. I started having same sex attractions. Um, of course in elementary, you don't know what, what's that We I didn't know it was called homosexual or homosexuality or whatever they call it now. Um, I just knew that the same way that girls liked boys, I liked girls too. You know, I had that, those feelings. And I remember it starting, um, starting in, in elementary school, just having those feelings. Now, when I got to middle school, um, I started acting out on those feelings. Cause remember again, my bi- biological, biological father wasn't there. My grandfather wasn't the best example. The molestation and rape happened with men. So I acted out on it once I got to middle school, but I did it in a sneaky way. Cause you know, being in that lifestyle back then was very popular. You know, people didn't just outright come out and say, yeah, I like her or, you know, whatever. So I just did it. I would, I did a lot of stuff back in middle school, like a lot of sneaky stuff. Like I would, what they call catfish now, but they didn't call it that back then. I would catfish women or catfish girls. I would use fake pictures of men posing as a man, but it was really me just to talk to women because I wasn't, you know, I didn't have that courage or, you know, to say, yo, it's me. I used to do that. Um, just acting out on it, you know, subtly sneaky, you know, then once I got to high school, it was like, okay, (laughs) this is it. You know, um, my family knew, but it was one of those things where they knew, but they pretended that they didn't know because they didn't want to believe it. 
but they knew that's what it was. Because, you know, again, my grandparents were pastors. I grew up as a preacher's kid, so they knew, but they just acted as if they didn't know. So, of course, all my friends knew. I became very popular in high school. They had a lot of, you know, in high school, you know, you get play play girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever you do some people become serious but to me it was it was just whatever so in high school I started having all of these girlfriends in school and I had older women while I was in high school I had older women I would go to their house they would buy me stuff they would pick me up I would stay the night tell my grandmother or my grandparents some random lie and I would stay the night married woman <laughs> it was some women in the church just I was out there with it you know still sneaky because I didn't broadcast it to the world you know back then they still do it now you have what the African-American will call a stud which is uh, a woman a girl dressed as what she takes on this masculine this hyper masculine role and she sacks her pants and wears boxes and does everything as a guy but she's a woman so I wasn't that I didn't sag my pants I didn't wear baggy clothes but I didn't wear tight clothes so but everybody knew I was a tomboy everybody knew I was very masculine because of my mannerisms. so did that um that was one of the effects I just became I had these same-sex attractions um started drinking heavy man just I became a functioning alcoholic. I would drink every day. Now, it became heavier after high school, but I would drink every day. In the morning, before work, during work, I would drink. I used to work at a gas station. Um, I would drink on the clock. I would put alcohol in a coffee cup or what have you and drink. Um, all of that, man, I became a functioning alcoholic. Every single day I drank. Um, once I moved out of my grandparents' house, I was rooming with a friend. Then, um, I started smoking marijuana, um, started smoking every day, just smoking heavy for a good, maybe six months. I would smoke, smoke every day. I didn't stick to smoking. Um, I was more of a drinker, you know, now my mom, as you know, was a heavy drinker as well. So I'm. Now that I'm in, in therapy, um, you know, y'all know there's this such thing called intergenerational trauma to where if your mom or whoever was an alcoholic, your parents, it can actually become an addiction for you through DNA. Um, in a nutshell, I'm just giving you basic knowledge. And so I that's, that's what I believe happened with me because... I would drink and get so drunk and get a headache. And you know how <laughs> if you was out there like that, you would drink, be sick on the toilet. I ain't never drinking no more. I ain't going to ever do it again. And then the next day I'm drinking and I don't even want it. And I'm still drinking. That's how I know it was a it was a generational thing passed down on both sides of my family were, were alcoholics. So drinking heavy still, you know, by this time I had gotten pregnant um, had an abortion, um, made me worse. Now this whole time I'm still in it out of church. I'm still, cause I told you I'm a musician. I was on the drums playing. I went to church every service. 
I still, I was one foot in, one foot out. So literally a double-minded, just having two separate lives. So, and thank God for covering me even through that, y'all. He covered me even through that, just being one foot in the door, one foot out. Just so I've always, one thing I do know is that I've always had this, I've never been, when I was out in the world, I've never had peace. Now, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, but it was always something to where I would never, whatever I did, whether it's drinking, whatever craving I had that was unhealthy, that became an addiction, whether it was smoking, having sex with a woman, or drinking, it didn't quench the deep thirst I had within my heart, the seed that was planted from my grandparents, that I still had a conviction to where, man, I need to get my life together, or a conviction like, man, God, I let you down. I always had that conviction, and I thank God for that conviction, um, even though I was still out there. So I always had this conviction down in my heart. So, yeah, y'all. Um, one thing I, I know is that even now, because, again, I'm with y'all. We're we're healing together. This is just a conversation. This is me sharing my my life and the things that I dealt with through all of that. Those effects, I was I was the trauma made me like a very damaged individual. I would hurt people intentional intentionally. I would guilt people into doing things and pulling the trauma card. Like okay. I'm still a victim here. Yeah, you got hurt, but what about me? I was very it I was very self-centered. Very self-centered. And I still fight with that today, not hurting people, but just being self-centered in a way to where I'm so hyper-focused on me sometimes. Um and I have to check myself and come back and all right, it's not just about you, you know. So just I was so bitter and so angry and my question all the time to God was like, yo, why me? Why does, why does, cause the trauma was back to back. Why does this keep happening? Why every time I look around is something I'm, I'm to where I became numb. I became the most unbothered girl ever. And I still struggle with that today to where I'm unbothered. I am just now because I joined therapy two two years ago. I am just now feeling and embracing my feelings because I didn't want to feel anything. I t- I tried to drown my feelings with alcohol. I tried to get as high as I can as possible to not feel anything. And I did it so much to where even when I was sober, I was still numb. I numbed it. I ignored it. I internalized. Um, I stayed silent. I just acted out on it, whether it was a fight, sex, drinking whatever I just acted out on it and it just it never it fulfilled a temporary fix but it was a temporary it wasn't even I wouldn't even say gratification it was just like a temporary fix to where even after I came down from my high or I became sober I still I still wasn't fulfilled I still didn't feel any better so I think I had to come to that knowledge 
and come to that realization that, okay, Jay, this ain't working. We got to do something else. Um, so I stopped going to church for a while, stopped playing drums, and I literally stayed home for six to nine months. Then I'm like, God, if you really want me for yourself, if you really care about me, you, we got to do something. And that's all the words that I had. And thank God for connections that I had at that time. I got connected to mentors and I had a, God sent me amazing people in my life that got me connected with the new church environment, a healthy church environment, um, new leaders. And, um, it still took time. Now it took time for me to had to enroll in therapy, had to get into therapy. Um, I had to stop playing victim. I had to very first thing going all the way back first thing I had to do was make up in my mind and want change for myself because people can offer resources to you and offer help but they can't make you apply it they can offer it but you have to take that responsibility and apply that change so I had to make up in my mind like okay I really am sick of myself and if I don't stop I am going to die I'm going to die in, in where, wherever I am in somebody in some woman's bed. Um, I'm going to get alcohol poisoning. I'm going to die emotionally, physically, and mentally. I'm going to, this, this will be the end of me if I don't do anything. So I made up in my mind, yes, I'm ready for, I'm ready for change. And I applied that change and I went to therapy. Um, therapy was hard y'all for the first year. Therapy was so hard, man. <laughs> it was so hard. Therapy, you don't go to therapy and automatically feel better. That is such a terrible misconception. You go to therapy and it gets worse before it gets better. Like, because you go in there, you don't really know this person. You pick the best person that you could because you have to date therapists. You have to see who fits you, you know. Um, found someone and I didn't open up at first. She, they asked you questions to open up. And even with a, a therapist, even with a church or a pastor, they're not the therapist and the pastor and the mentors and the people. They're not responsible for your healing. You're responsible for it. They're responsible to help aid you to it. Like, hey, this is here. Here's here's the plate of food. But you have to eat it. You have to consume it. So it was it's I would call it doing the work. It's just doing the work. You still have to do the work. You can't just show up to therapy or show up to church or show up in a friendship or with a mentor and just sit there and have them bear all the responsibility to force you to change. You have to take up your part. You have to meet God with your faith. Meet God with your faith. Faith without works is dead. That's what the good book says. You have to meet your faith and your works with God in order for the supernatural to happen, meaning your change, your mental, physical, psychological, emotional healing. But you have to do the work to get there. So that's what I did for at least two years, therapy, church, environment. I isolated. I'd, I'm Look, I'm the queen of isolating myself. To this day, I am an introvert. Now, introverts normally 
get their energy from being alone. Doesn't mean they don't love people. They just don't get their energy from people. Extroverts are the opposite. They get their energy from people. Um, And they don't like to be alone for a long period of time. So I had to, but I was just isolating myself. I didn't go outside. I didn't talk to nobody. Like I was just isolating myself from people because people were the main source of my trauma. So I had to break out of that and give people another chance, give love another chance. And I'm not talking about romance or I'm talking about just relationships. Give you can't blame everybody for what a few people did. You get what I'm saying? Just like they say, you can't blame this. This guy is probably coming with pure intentions, but because you're still damaged and hurt and haven't healed from the last guy, you're going to start blaming him from for that guy's mistake. So you can't come into, I had to, literally, I had to practice the art of forgiving. And forgiving is just not a one-time thing. It's not a one-time thing. Every time you remember it, say forgive again because it's going to come back up forgiving you you, there's no way you can forget you know you don't forget all of that stuff so I had to forgive I had to forgive myself um I had to accept the love of God and I'm here right now not as a perfect woman but just as a a woman that's applying change daily like I told y'all before I still get triggered but the challenge is, or the change comes with, okay, I still need help in this area. Cause that's what triggers are the teachers. They tell you that you still need help in that, in an area still need help with this. The change comes with your response to it. All right. I'm not going to respond like this. Like I did last time. I'm going to respond this way in a healthy way. Stop, breathe, whatever it is, breathe, stay quiet. Think before you speak, whatever it is, just applying steps so that when the trigger happens again, you can apply these steps to that trigger is no longer, you know? So it's just about doing the work, man, just doing the work. And that's what I'm doing. And that's what we're going to be doing on y'all. Y'all are on this journey with me. Y'all are officially family. Y'all are my besties. So we're going to be on the journey together of healing, um, healing together. And that's all that I want to do. I, and the, the crazy thing is, all of that stuff that happened to me, all of that trauma that happened to me, it was supposed to happen. But that hurt, don't it? That hurts to say, God, my question always was, God, why would you allow all of that stuff to happen? Because it was supposed to happen. God allowed all of that to happen for a reason, not because he's a bad God. But because he's a good God, he allowed all of that to happen so that I can come out on the other side of it and help you come out. So it's never been about me. It's not just about you. It's bigger than you. This is God is a generational God. God is a relational God. God is a God of community. So now that I'm on the other side of it, I can say, you know what? I survived all of that. And I'm here right now. I'm here right now. I have some scars. I have some marks and I can show you the scars and the marks now and how they healed. But the scars and the marks show you that, you know what? She's a survivor. She came out 
and it made her better. It made her better. There's no way I can sit on my couch, start this podcast, and tell y'all anything if I hadn't gone through all of that stuff. I wouldn't be able to, I would have nothing to say. So the damage worked out for my good, and I'm just so grateful that it worked out for my good. And God literally turned my pieces into a masterpiece, into art. Broken crayons still color. So that's my story. I'm still a broken crayon sometimes, but I'm still coloring. I'm still, my story is still being written. I'm still learning, still growing. And we're never going to be all the way perfect until it's our last day on this earth. So you're always going to be healing from something. You're always going to be working on something. Always stay in a position to learn something, you know. So that's what I try to do. So, y'all, that's me. These were the <clears throat> the effects of, of the after effects of trauma. So glad that you joined in. I'll see y'all on the next episode. Peace. You can run, but you can't hide.